The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. This is Arun Sidharman. This is our first Echo Chamber recorded in the great city of Hyderabad in South India. Uh, I'm here for the Praxis Conference. Uh, and I'm joined by Sri Srinivasan, who is possibly the, the first time we've had two South Indians on the Echo Chamber. <laughs> There's podcast. too many South Indians, I'm sure, for Already. a lot of people. Yes. Already. It'll probably, actually, it'll go over the heads of most of our listeners. Sri, so I wonder if you could just fill us in, first of all, tell us what you're doing. Obviously, I think many of our listeners will, will have been aware of your high-profile um, Role in the New York Museum world, mm -hmm. right? With the it was with the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Museum of Art. Yeah, so I can say that uh, you know we we talked a little earlier about London, and London's a great museum city, and uh, uh, New York is another great museum city. Though the the advantage in London is that all the museums are free there because of the government support, mm. and uh, you only pay for the exhibitions but otherwise the access to museums and to live in a city where there's access to art and culture is really important no matter what business you're in or anything else so my background was I was a professor of, Colum uh, of journalism and digital media at Columbia for 20 years and then mm. I became uh, the first chief digital officer of Columbia University thinking about the future of education which you know is undergoing a minor crisis in some ways and the crisis of uh, confidence and a crisis of opportunity uh, the launch of the MOOCs the massive open online courses where you can anybody in the world can study with the world's greatest institutions at no cost mm -hmm. uh, I, I think is a massive opportunity but also lots of worries and problems with that I met a guy who you're um, audience should know named Sebastian Thrun, T-H-R-U-N, who's German, who uh, was a Stanford professor, and he was involved in uh, helping create multiple things, but the two things he talks a lot about is, one is uh, the creation of the driverless car, mm -hmm. uh, which, and also the uh, free education, and he put those together and he says, more people are worried about free education than they're worried about the driverless car, and oh, that wow. tells you something about the economics of the world and the way things work. Yeah. And uh, then I had an opportunity to be the Chief Digital Officer of the Metropolitan Museum and uh, it was a chance for me to think about the future of culture and, uh, and there was an educational component of that as well. And while I was at, uh, at, at, the, at the Met, I ran a 70-person digital team thinking about the transformation. How do you make a 150-year-old organization relevant in the smartphone age? How do you get millennials and younger people to care about the arts? And uh, that's something that uh, I really uh, enjoyed working on until one day I was brought in and told I'm leaving the Met. And I mm. thought I was leaving for a meeting and instead I was leaving for good I was uh, not yeah, I was yeah. so I was in such shock I said I'll work for free I love this job I'll raise my own salary you know please let me stay and there's no such thing you gotta you know mm. either you get paid or you don't and so <clears throat> I was asked to leave I went on Facebook and I told people that I'm I've, I've lost my job tell me what to do next and uh, I gave them a form of Google form to fill in and 1400 people filled in this form there were some wonderful ideas some ideas uh, that were really credible and then some awful ideas but mm. at my worst moment 
in my life, I had the best moment of my life with what I call a global digital hug mm. that I got from the world uh, because of this. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot about myself, but I also learned that we live in a world where talking about setbacks is not what we're used to. You know, if you go mm. on Facebook, you go on Instagram, everyone's having a fabulous life, better than you. Mm. And uh, they kind of curate this perfected version of themselves on social. And uh, when in fact life is messy and you don't talk about that mess. And so it was fascinating to live through that process. Mm, okay. And so since then, what have you been up to? So then I got a job as the chief digital officer of New York City. Mm -hmm. And that's a job I love, kind of thinking about the future of cities. And uh, it was at a moment when Donald Trump uh, had taken over right. the United States uh, and the world. Yeah. And uh, uh, cities like New York became part of the resistance mm -hmm. in, the, in the sense that, uh, resistance in the best way, mm -hmm. that uh, uh, in many cases the Trump administration is doing not just uh, less ideal uh, decision making, they're picking the worst of any three options that they get, mm -hmm. or even worse than you think. And for those people who don't live in the US, you have a sense of his bluster on TV and the things he's saying and all of that, but in reality, the long-term permanent damage he's doing to the kind of uh, societal fabric people don't even understand. Even people in America don't understand because, and there's a saying that we have like, look at what he's doing instead of looking at what he's saying. Yeah. And what he's doing is even worse. Mm -hmm. You know that what he's saying is bad, but yeah. what he's doing is even worse. So anyway, so it was fascinating to be in City Hall in New York at the time. Uh, it was at the same time that uh, we saw the rise in London of mm -hmm. the, the, of Mayor Sadiq Khan and, yep. and uh, that was really exciting to see uh, at a time of great uh, anti-Muslim rhetoric to have a Muslim mm -hmm. immigrant, uh, immigrant son be in charge of another great city in the world. So anyway, so I was doing all that when I got reorged from there. And uh, you know, they say adversity builds character. Mm. And I lost two jobs in 12 months. So my character is amazing now. <laughs> wow. We've only met now. So you have no idea how much better my character is today. <laughs> and so I've made it my mission to help people to share my story and uh, not to be blindsided the way I was, mm -hmm. um, uh, where I you can hit every goal, you can be uh, terrific at your work, and you could still be asked to move on. Yeah, that's the way the world uh, is, and mm -hmm. uh, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. So, uh, during your session yesterday, you were talking about um, you're providing a lot of advice and insight into social media for people, which I found really interesting. I, I sometimes feel in this kind of media bubble, people are very familiar with digital and they're quite, they're at quite an advanced level perhaps. Um, do, with your jobs for the, the Met um, and, and New York City, what did you learn about how people use digital and social media that surprised you? I think the biggest surprise for me is that uh, people are not looking out for themselves. Uh, I compare it to the airline business, right, or the airlines. When you're in a plane, they tell you if the oxygen mask falls, to do exactly the opposite of your instinct. Mm -hmm. If the oxygen mask comes, you want to give it to your kid, you want to give it to the old lady sitting next to you, you want to give it to the grandpa who is mm -hmm. your neighbor, right, because you want to help them instead of helping yourself. And what does the pilot tell you? Put it on yourself first, mm -hmm. right? And that's not the instinct we have. And that's also what we do in the corporate world. 
we are really good at working for our companies and bolstering their social and digital and I mean of course that's what we're being paid for mm -hmm. but we don't take care of ourselves and loyalty in companies only goes in one direction from the employee to the employer no matter how good you are or anything else in the end they have to look out for themselves right and so I am surprised how little people pay attention to their own social media their own brand and reputation and in this new world we're in you have to you have to do that uh, I grew up in a world where I'm not a digital native I had to learn all of this stuff I'm almost 50 years old and I got to see from uh, others that they are all focused on helping their companies which they should I mean of course they should mm. but they should also look out for themselves because in this new world they're going to be times when I'm hiring somebody everything else being equal I'm gonna hire the person who has a his own audience or her own audience to bring to the table because yeah. that you know that's something that's good for my my work right mm -hmm. so that's saying all things are being equal if they're not equal I'd of course hire the better writer the, mm -hmm. uh, the better communicator the smarter person all of that but all things being equal that's where I would I would look at it so uh, I encourage people to be more involved and interested in in digital there's this idea that young people know all the digital stuff and mm -hmm. they do know they know the buttons to push and they know how to get things going but they don't understand the history the context the background why you're doing this they know mm. how to do it and I make a push to get people or everyone to learn together because there's a lot to learn yeah but you say that you'd hire someone with the social media audience, but what if it's the wrong kind of social media presence they have? Does oh, that course. happen yeah, as yeah. well? Oh, of course. People have, uh, you know, you can, when I'm hiring or helping brands hire, because I do a lot of that in my work, I very easily can look at someone's feed for just 10 days worth of posts and I can tell you about his judgment, I can tell you about her network, I can tell you about sense of humor, I can tell you almost to a point that's absolutely right would they be a good colleague or not Wow! because they what you the life you project on social and digital tells people tells me something about you yeah and um, and uh, there are absolutely people with 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 bad audiences online mm -hmm. uh, just because so it's not about the raw numbers either right it's about having influential people follow you yeah. connecting with people who can help in the uh, in industry you're in so for example if I'm um, helping a, a food brand, I want to hire somebody who knows something about food. Yeah. Uh, I certainly don't want to hire somebody who knows only shoes. I mean, mm -hmm. there may be a connection there, but you know, you want to think about the right audience, and that's also a good point to make to your mm -hmm. audience. Sure. So one of the things you touched on yesterday was on the kind of metrics, perhaps, that people use to measure uh, social media success. Mm -hmm. Let's say, and it's a it's a big question in the corporate world because there's a lot of kind of spurious metrics. Some people call them vanity metrics. So you know, you yourself said you got thousands of impressions for a post, and it only resulted in one extra follower. <laughs> um, Hundred and eighty-five thousand hundreds imp of thousands. impression wow. and one new follower. That's quite impressive. So, <laughs> what what's your advice to companies that are maybe infatuated with follower counts and video views? Yeah, well, you know, everybody it's because we know so little about the space. Mm -hmm. So you you jump onto the lowest common, easiest to understand number. And when it says views, this reminds me of the early days of the internet when they had a measure called hits. 
mm -hmm. onto a website. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. could, as people did, just sit around just hitting refresh <laughs> on their own browser just to raise that number because it was kind of mesmerizing to see this count go up. Mm. You know, if you worked uh, on a television program, you really didn't know how many people were watching. You had mm -hmm. some vague ratings number. Yeah. Or if you write for a magazine, uh, you have the total audience circulation. And so you think everybody's read that. You know, so if you write for Time magazine, mm -hmm. you think a million people have read your story, when in fact, very few people have read the story, even though they're paying for Time magazine. Mm -hmm. But now we live in a world where we have this actual numbers. And the problem is we think these numbers are as good as the old numbers, and they're not, because there are a lot of uh, what I consider to be uh, wrong, uh, incorrect and misguided numbers. Uh, mm -hmm. We talked about how uh, the video view metric is three seconds mm. uh, to count and an advertiser's paying millions of dollars based on that spurious number. Mm. And uh, like if, if uh, in three seconds of this, you know, this podcast, what could anybody learn? Absolutely nothing. But if you're an advertiser and this was a video podcast, after the first three seconds, they owe you money, mm. right? So that's that's an example. The follower count uh, is is another number that's a problem because we all think that the number of followers we have is some sign of how good we are in the world mm. or how good someone else is. But I know uh, some really awful people who have huge follower counts, and I have I know some yep. people who are among the most influential, smartest most hardworking and most influential people in the world who have almost no followers. Uh, right. One of my friends uh, had the biggest exit from a startup in Philadelphia, uh, you know, uh, very large uh, billion five plus exit. And he has less, at that time he had less than a thousand followers. So somebody looking at his thing will say, oh, this guy is not important. Where there might be a stand-up comic in Philadelphia who has, you know, a hundred times his followers. Nothing wrong with stand-up comics, but if you're in the business world, who would you rather know? You'd probably rather know the guy who had the biggest exit of any startup in the history of Philadelphia than the than the sports person or the you know or the comic or whatever. So that's where uh, I think that we are focusing on the wrong numbers. What numbers should we be focusing? Yeah, on? so the numbers should be uh, looking at things like uh, uh, influential people following us. Uh, there's a tool I like to talk about called Twiangulate. It's like mm -hmm. triangulate with a twa at the mm -hmm. front. And what it does is it allows you to get a sense of who your top 100 followers are and who their followers. So I like to say that it's not who follows you that matters. It's who follows who follows you that matters, meaning the influence comes from not your own audience, but whose audience you have an you have access to. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the things I look at. In terms of videos, I like to look at engagement, how many reactions, how many responses, how many shares, how many comments. Those are things that show you the meaningful interaction rather than the fleeting, uh, just uh, barely uh, connecting numbers that we see a lot of also. Yeah, okay. Um, one of the things you said yesterday is that LinkedIn is underappreciated. <laughs> uh, I, I believe it is. I, everybody thinks it's a job hunting tool. Mm. I think of it as a career management tool. I think every 15-year-old should uh, have a LinkedIn account and build it for the rest of their lives. We're sitting in Hyderabad, which your audience uh, may uh, know is a great cyber city here in 
Uh, and I'm surprised how few people use it properly. At our conference yesterday, there were 650 people in the room. Maybe 10 people felt confident about LinkedIn. You asked the same thing about Twitter or Facebook or email or WhatsApp, hundreds of hands would go up. Yeah. And why is this gap there when LinkedIn is the most underappreciated, most relevant, most useful tool for corporate executives, mm. but they don't use it because they think it's for job hunting. Right. And uh, when it's really, I mean, it is for job hunting, but it's for much more than that. And uh, 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 people think that I'm the biggest advocate for LinkedIn. I'm not even the biggest Indian advocate for LinkedIn because uh, 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 a guy named Satya Nadella, who is CEO, as you know, of also, Microsoft also from and hide from Hyderabad Public School, yeah. uh, he paid $26 billion for it. So he's the real advocate. I'm all I'm asking you is to use it. He's paying, he's putting his money where his mouth is. Uh, and he uh, paid $26 billion for that. To give you a comparison, Zuckerberg paid a billion for Instagram and 19 billion for WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. And he's paid even more than that. Yeah. And I think he has there's so much potential there and that they need to keep getting better and people need to start using it more. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, CEOs on social media, mm -hmm. uh, what's your advice to them and what's the common pitfalls you think that they encounter? Uh, I think CEOs are caught in a strange world now. They have to be really good at their jobs. They have to produce quarterly results or <laughs> weekly, daily results. And on top of that, be a thought leader right. and be participating in the yeah. world. And, and I think they've been kind of being a CEO has been ruined in part by people like Richard Branson and others who have this kind of very yeah. glamorous, uh, you know, high profile life with millions of followers and all that. And so it can be frustrating for CEOs. I, one of my favorite clients is a guy who's a Middle Eastern CEO who is ashamed that he doesn't know these tools mm. and so every three weeks we have a conference call where we work on his LinkedIn but he doesn't want his staff to know he doesn't even put it in his calendar or his diary or anything and we meet on a Saturday we do the calls on a Saturday which is in the Middle East yeah. Sunday yeah. and I feel like we're having an affair because <laughs> nobody can know that we're doing this and uh, we look over his LinkedIn what did you do well this week what did you not do well mm. you know how can I help you? you know that kind of thing so it captures the problem that CEOs have that they want to be good at this but the the obvious CEOs who are out there are, are so far ahead mm -hmm. that they feel like there's no point doing it when in fact there's a lot of reasons to participate in LinkedIn and Twitter and all of that stuff when you can but don't be the whiny version of you a lot of CEOs <laughs> online are just like whining I had a bad flight, my train is stuck, uh, my lunch was terrible. A lot of first world problems. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. And uh, what I would want to see if I were CEO is insights, uh, uh, talking about your own industry, not just about yourself, like my company is the best. Talk about the industry. Uh, I like to say that uh, Facebook and Twitter are, and Instagram, uh, Facebook and Instagram really are about kind of showing off your life that you have this perfect version of your life, everyone's doing this great thing, but on, on, on LinkedIn, you can show off your expertise. Mm -hmm. On Twitter, you can show off your expertise, and people love that. So can we, as, a, as, as senior executives, think about being better at this? And not just saying my comms department's gonna do this. Right. Uh, you have a role to play. For all the problems Donald Trump has, he's the CEO who was using Twitter, and he used it all the way to the White House. Yeah. And, uh, 
he understood it better than the CEOs of the social media companies yeah. who didn't understand. So Zuckerberg apologized in Congress that he didn't see what was coming, whereas the person who made it happen certainly saw it and he wrote it. Mm. In fact, one of, the, one of the things you said yesterday was in relation to fake news. Um, social media companies did not understand social media. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and, and I can say that I didn't understand it either. And mm -hmm. all of us who just sat by and watched as this juggernaut of, uh, of, of problems kind of landed in a collective, on all our collective laps, uh, we should have all uh, been more aware of what was going on, but the blame has to be placed at the feet of the social media companies. We're sitting here as Facebook has just released information that 50 million users' information mm, was hacked yeah. by um, uh, somebody or exposed or whatever it is. Hard to even keep track of these stories yeah. anymore. But we have to remember, we are giving our own information freely, happily to Facebook and all these other companies anyway. And so once you do that, it's accessible inside, it's accessible to anybody who, from the outside who breaks in, on top of which they're also selling the information, like it's a whole big mess. Mm. Okay, and then my final question for you, the latest craze uh, when it comes to brands and digital is influencer marketing. Um, and we're seeing you know, big sums of money being thrown at, at influencers. Uh, and we've seen various missteps. Um, what are your thoughts on this kind of Wild West? How do you see it playing is, out? Is this a five-hour podcast? <laughs> because I have Not five sure hours worth of uh, I have five hours worth of ranting that I'm about to start, so I'll keep it short. Well, you can but do it in five minutes. <laughs> five maybe. minutes or five seconds. The answer is it's a you know it's like a uh, it, it's such a mess. And uh, uh, what people don't understand is that because this is such a new world, you use the word Wild West. The people who look like they know what they're doing, everybody chases them. Mm. And uh, I've seen this in the Middle East, I've seen this in India, I've seen this in America, Europe. And my message to everybody who's dealing with this is a lot of this is pure BS. Mm -hmm. And the people who are really influential never call themselves influencers mm. anyway. I can give you the best example is that uh, we were doing an exhibition at the Met that Roger Federer loved. Mm -hmm. and. He came to the Met on his own multiple times and posted on Twitter, you've mm. got to go see the show. This is amazing. You've got to see it. Nobody paid him any money. No. We just, he loved it and that was genuine. And then at the US Open, you know, they do the post in, uh, yep. match interviews. And then he took the microphone from the interviewer at the end of his thing. And I just said, everybody who is hearing this right now, <laughs> go to the Met and see this show. Oh, wow. What yeah. is that worth? Yeah. billion dollars right? like you yeah. couldn't pay him to say that right. well I mean, of course he gets paid to say a lot of things but when it comes from the heart that was amazing right so I'm not saying don't pay people mm -hmm. but but see what you're getting for this a lot of the people who are doing this think they're kind of like Van Halen or whatever the big brand you know they think they're Beyonce but they're basically like your uncle with a camera and he just happened to luck into this and, uh, and uh, they're exploiting these companies that don't know what the heck they're doing. And so some kid uh, tells you that uh, we'll come and then, they, and then they're very specific. We will do one Instagram and uh, you must pay us lots of money for this one Instagram, whatever it is. Whereas 
you know, uh, the ones who really are good at this stuff will post 50 times because they love it, you mm -hmm. know, not because of... Uh, so, uh, there are people whose audience is real, whose influence is real, who you can work with. But you don't only have to pay them in cash, you can pay them in access, you can pay them in experiences, things like that, and pay them an amount of money. But the kind of almost extortion rates that I have seen companies pay to these people for almost no benefit, except, you know, how you can just say you hired somebody and you, it looks good on your, you know, on your uh, yearly review, mm. but it doesn't translate into bottom line uh, sales, then it's a waste of the of the of that money that you spent there are a lot better ways to do it mm -hmm. and so I'd encourage you to think long and hard before you throw your money away uh, again think of your uncle with a camera and you know how bumbling he is yeah, uh, oh, yeah. and uh, they're just one step above that many of them not all of them there are good folks but uh, mm -hmm. good luck with dealing with them good advice Sri thank you so much for your time um, we should probably conclude this before there's any more uh, <laughs> huge crashes. And yeah. I think we're being surrounded by a swarm of mosquitoes <laughs> as well. But thank you very much. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. And, and thank you. And uh, congrats on the podcast and, and uh, all the great work you're doing. Thank you. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group. Putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.